Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, October 30th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We hear the Mayor's message about the new restrictions put into place when it comes to gatherings in our city ahead of the Halloween weekend. Next, we focus on keeping the trick-or-treaters safe on Saturday night as they head out on the hunt for candy. Tips from Calgary EMS Public Education Officer Adam Loria from the Halloween Partners for Safety program. It's a topic everyone seems to have an opinion on, street parking in residential areas. 770 CHQR roving reporter Dave McIver steers through the issue of whether or not a homeowner has rights to the curbside parking space directly in front of their house. Then we head stateside with four days left until the U.S. federal election. We get a rundown on what candidates have planned this weekend. We speak with Jackson Prosco, Global's Washington Bureau Chief. And finally, just in time for Halloween, we talk to a man who is no stranger to paranormal activity. We talk ghosts with Jeff Richards, an intuitive and one of the hosts of the TV series, The Other Side. 8.12 on the morning news. And this week, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, announced new gathering limits for both Calgary and Edmonton as active case numbers continue to rise Joining us now is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. And Mayor, on Wednesday, you and SEMA Chief Tom Sampson both urged Calgarians to continue to follow guidelines as the pandemic continues in the city. Uh, let, let's talk about your thoughts on seeing these numbers and records being set as uh, recently as yesterday. We now have more active cases than we did at the height of lockdown uh, in April and May. And nobody, as I've said many times, nobody wants another lockdown, but the trajectory is very concerning. Uh, if we keep up at the pace we're going, we'll have 50,000 active cases uh, in Calgary before Christmas. Uh, and that's, we can't, <laughs> we just can't, that's overwhelming. And I wanna remind people about exponential growth. So imagine a Petri dish and imagine you've got one virus in it and that virus doubles every day. So on day 12, you have an overflowing Petri dish, your hospitals are overwhelmed, you look like Italy in February or New York, that's day 12. What day did you only have half the hospital beds? Well, the answer is day 11. On day 10, you only had a quarter of them. On day nine, you had only an eighth of them. And so that's how quickly this stuff can grow. And we look at that R number, which is the number of how many people each infected person infects. Once that gets to two or above, you're in exponential growth. And right now we're sitting over mm, about 1.5. So this is very, very troubling. We need to get that number back down below one. We need to flatten the curve. And that really is about people's individual behavior. And, you know, Tom Sampson gave an analogy on Wednesday, which I thought was helpful. Let's say your R number, your budget is one, right? And so your budget is a dollar. And you've got to spend a quarter on essential services. You've got to spend a quarter on keeping schools open. Uh, you've got to spend a quarter on keeping businesses open. That means that you've got very little room to play with. So all that optional stuff, Halloween parties, social gatherings, things that you don't need really to do right now, that's the stuff we just can't afford. And we are ahead, obviously, of the Halloween weekend, and uh, hopefully people are, are foregoing those big parties this weekend. And, uh, you know, as, as you've been asking and, and officials right across the province, keep those social bubbles small, wear masks, and, and safely trick-or-treat, because Halloween is certainly not cancelled in our city. No, trick-or-treating is fine. Just be thoughtful and careful. You know, wear a mask and a mask. You make sure you're covering your nose, your face, and your mouth. Um, and make sure you're staying within your booble, as I call it, <laughs> for Halloween. Uh, small groups, stay outdoors. Um, parents, 
if you uh, can figure out a way to do this, maybe have some candy that you bought yourself at home. The kids can enjoy that night so that you can isolate the candy you pick up, maybe wipe it down just to be on the safe side. Uh, that would be helpful. If you're someone who is going to be giving out candy, make sure you're wearing your mask. Make sure you're hand sanitizing a lot. If you want to use a gardening tool or a reacher to hand out the candy or a cardboard tube like Tom Sampson does, that's okay too. It's just a matter of being a little bit safe and giving the kids that experience. But I'm telling you, no house parties, no pub crawls. This is not the year for it. Uh, you, you know, it, it, it's fine. Oh, and, of course, I have to remember my annual PSA, my annual public service <laughs> announcement. Here in Calgary, sexy mayor, not an appropriate Halloween costume. It's not. A, it's already taken. Oh, Andy. Um, to, to, <laughs> my plans are canceled. <laughs> I'm wondering to that point about house parties, how active would, uh, you know, bylaw officers and, and CPS for that matter uh, be this weekend when it comes to keeping an eye out for maybe huge house parties that might be happening or huge gatherings at different venues? Well, like always, you know, uh, Police officers and bylaw officers will break up big, loud parties, uh, as they always do. Um, but you know what? I've been telling people, oh, you know, talk with your neighbors, don't tattle on them, and so on. No, we can't do that anymore. Tattle on them. <laughs> you see a big party going on next door, you call 311. Okay, fair enough. Good reminder. Before we let you go, one word, one answer, your favorite Halloween candy to steal from the children. You know, oh, okay, borrow, borrow from the children. <laughs> Well, you can't borrow it and give it back. You can give, you know, them, I, you can I, give them the wrapper. <laughs> yeah, weirdly, I don't drink coffee, but I love coffee, Chris. Okay, fair enough. Well, happy Halloween weekend to you, Mayor. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Happy Halloween, everybody. That is Mayor Nahid Nechi. 619 now, and the Partners for Safety program is an initiative of Calgary's Child Magazine, and for the 25th year, emergency services and partner agencies across the city will come together to make sure the kids have a safe Halloween. With all the details, we're joined this morning by Adam Loria, Public Education Officer with EMS. Hi, Adam. Hello, good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us. You're wearing, I know you're dressed up as a paramedic for Halloween <laughs> this year, and apparently one of the uh, the hottest Halloween costumes as people dress up in our very much loved and respected frontline, front services, uh, frontline workers this year. Did you know that? It's one of the hottest costumes this year. Good to hear. Also, I've been dressing up as one for uh, a few <laughs> years now. It's, it's worked well. It's working well for you. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this program and, and what you'll, you guys will be doing out on the streets tonight. Absolutely. Um, uh, emergency services, along with a, a few other uh, uh, City of Calgary uh, departments, uh, we've teamed up with Calgary's Child for a number of years, very successful program, and essentially we're just uh, all uh, uh, putting our minds together to ensure that uh, Calgarians and, and Albertans are, are safe while uh, trick-or-treating. This year's a little bit of a uh, um, slightly different story, um, obviously with uh, COVID-19 in the mix. Um, you need to be uh, extra safe. Let's talk about the different players involved in the Partners for Safety, Adam. What are the different groups? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, Emergency Medical Services, so EMS, Alberta's Paramedics, uh, Calgary Police, Calgary Fire, Calgary Transit, uh, Bylaw, uh, Calgary 911, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple there, so I apologize <laughs> ahead of time, but uh, those are, are definitely uh, the, the few, uh, few, few players. So, Adam, what do we need to know? Kids are out trick-or-treating, mom and dad maybe with them, maybe not. If something goes wrong and they're looking for some help, what do they do? Yeah, this year, like I just mentioned, uh, we're sort of, uh, there's two two subsections, sorry, to our uh, safety messaging. So, uh, the first subsection is uh, COVID-19 related. So, definitely, uh, trick-or-treaters bring uh, hand sanitizer and make sure to use it frequently, ideally, if you can, safely, 
uh, somewhere, uh, wash your hands routinely, that, that would be uh, preferential, but sanitizer for sure. Stay at least uh, two meters away from uh, uh, people that are not in your, in your cohort. Uh, and consider a costume this year that you can incorporate uh, a cool or neat um, you know, mask or face covering and uh, keep it on throughout, throughout the venture. Now, that, that's for trick-or-treaters. For, for uh, homeowners or people that will be handing out candy, uh, it's you got, got to think outside the box this year in regards to, to handing out candy if you choose to do so. Uh, so uh, ideas such as ramps or tubes or using tongs uh, that will help you maintain that physical distancing of two meters is, is, uh, is asked. Uh, and as well, obviously, wear uh, a face covering or, or a mask um, when, when not able to maintain that physical distancing. A uh, cool idea that I've heard is, is uh, you know, since the, the weather, I believe, is going to be milder mm-hmm. or, or uh, yep. um, somewhat nicer than the last, uh, I guess, little storm we had there, but uh, maybe uh, handing out candy outside, setting up a uh, shop outside in a, in a garage uh, with obviously the door open uh, just to um, decrease the chance of touching door handles, railings, doorbells, and, and overcrowding. Great tips, and we'll keep our eyes peeled for the partner's for safety tomorrow night. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. That's Adam Loria, Public Education Officer with EMS. 6.09 on the morning news, Halloween edition. It's time to check in with our 770 CHQR roving reporter. Dave McIver joins us now with a topic that everyone has an opinion on. It's a topic that will make people's blood boil. Parking in front of your home. Do you own that parking spot? A little backstory. A few nights ago, someone parked in front of our house, so my wife had to park across the street. When she got up for work the next morning, there was a note on her car. Now, I won't read you the whole thing, but essentially it said, this is your neighbor's spot, and you should understand the etiquette of your street. Now, we'll get to the etiquette part in a second, but first I wanted to chat with some Calgarians and get their thoughts on whether they actually think that spot is theirs. Mike, Tina, and Ken all chatted with me about the topic. It depends on whether or not you're paying for a parking pass or not. You know what I mean? Like like what, what the city's thinking about doing, about charging people for a parking pass. To me, to me that says that the city is, is charging you for a service now. So I think you should have the right to park in front of your house. Uh, other than that, it's always been my experience that it's kind of a mutual respect thing. You try not to park in front of somebody else's place and you hope that they don't park in front of your place. But outside of that, you don't have a right to that spot unless you're paying for it. Mike said something interesting there. If you're paying for the permit to park on that street, then you should own the spot. So I checked in with Todd Sullivan at Calgary Parking Authority to ask him that question. If you live on a permit parking street, do you own the spot in front of your house? No, so the residential parking permit All that actually does is it allows us to prevent people who don't live in the area from parking there. It doesn't guarantee anyone parking in front of their home. And anyone who has the same permit can park anywhere within that permit zone. It does not have to be directly in front of their house at all. So it turns out, even with the permit, that's still not your spot. What about Ken? Does he think that the spot in front of his house is his? Yes, it is. I think it is, definitely. because there's neighbors across the street. They've got two families living in their house. They have four vehicles. And nine out of ten times, they got one of their vehicles parked in front of my house. And then I have to park down the street. Now, Ken wanted me to add that if he's paying property taxes and shoveling snow off the city-owned sidewalk, then he should own the spots in front of his house. 
so does he? Let's check back in with Todd. No, absolutely not. Uh, the Any public street uh, it is entirely owned by the municipality, or depending on where you might be, it might be the province, but it is definitely not the homeowner. Uh, at the edge of your property line, which for most people is actually the edge of your lawn, so it doesn't even come into the sidewalk, uh, that, that's where your ownership ends and where any control ends as well. So what about Tina? I asked her the same question about the spot in front of her house. Oh, I know. I know. Technically, it's not, and I know it is public, quote unquote. But I, I do feel that you know it's ours because it's in front of our house. So, you know, um, yeah, I guess I do feel it's ours, even though I know it's not. And I think a lot of Calgarians feel that way. But Tina did say something that really resonated with me when I asked her what she would do if someone was parking in front of her house continuously. On a, well, on a regular basis, I, I may, if I knew who they were, I would maybe go talk to them. Ah, the good old neighborly conversation. Something that I think a lot of us don't really have anymore. What happened to talking to our neighbors? What are your thoughts? I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio, 770 CHQR. Mm, good one. <laughs> talking to your neighbor. Do you talk to your neighbor? First of all, we'll open up the text line, 403-974-8255, if you want to comment on that, for sure. Interesting topic, though, Dave. And, I, you know, all started with a note on your wife's car. And I think anybody who has a house and doesn't have a driveway or a garage assumes that spot should just be theirs, right? Look. We try and park in front of our house and nowhere else on the street. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. And yeah, when somebody parks in front of our house, we get a little irked. But I did know that it's not our spot. We do not own that yep. spot. And it's it, it sucks for, 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 yep. to know that. But it's just, it is the law and it is the way it is. Now, the etiquette part, I, I don't understand that. Um, because it goes back to the neighborly conversation. We've only talked to a couple of our neighbors. And... There's, I mean, a ton of spots. I counted the cars on my street this morning. There's 19. Oh. There's probably room for 40 to 45 cars. Like there so is there's lots of space. There's lots of space. So that was a passive-aggressive move by your neighbor who could easily have come over or left a note on saying, hey, I'm at, uh, you know, 44, come that's talk it. to me, drive. Yes. And you could have gone and visited them and had Ex a chat. Exactly. And I think that's kind of the point. Like, of course, I wanted to get the information across that, yeah, that's not your spot. But I think it leads to the bigger conversation of... Why can't we have that conversation together? I mean, we did get the note, but we don't know who sent it. Yeah. And what if it was somebody two houses down that didn't like us parking on the other side of the street and it wasn't the house that we parked in front of? That conversation can't happen. And that's where I come from. Look, that's what the issue is. We're super nice neighbors. Well, we think we are. You know? <laughs> You're not bad. You're I, okay. I, I go to Your bed wife's at, a lot nicer. I go to bed at seven o'clock every night. <laughs> we don't throw parties, none of that stuff. Yeah. And, I would totally love to have a conversation with my neighbors. I think you guys seen I think we've lost that in this city. Yeah. And I, I really, this is the first place I've lived where I've really noticed that one thing I, I see from living in the burbs is that we have a garage, a door from our garage into our house. And I think that's one thing of that really stops people from chatting with their neighbors is you don't ever have to, you drive in, you close the garage door and you go in your house. You don't have to see anybody and talk to anybody. And that's too bad. Well, you know, the other part of it is I, I would submit and maybe people uh, can send us a text at 403-974-8255. If you've lived in your current house uh, a year or longer, can you name your neighbors on either side of your house? And I'm guessing that a large number of Calgarians cannot. In my case, I have about 40 feet in front of my house. It's it's a long, uh, you know, stretch. 
I do like to park in front because a lot of times I'm carrying in two toddlers and perhaps groceries. Mm-hmm. I like to park right, right in front, but guess what? You could fit five or six cars in front of my house, I swear, because of the way it's on the corner and it starts in the alley. When people park in front of my house, as long as it's not in front of the door, I don't have an issue. But to Dave's point, I did not know this gentleman, but he was visiting somebody across the street. He parked, uh, you know, right close, right behind my car. And he was parking there, it seemed like, every Saturday. So one time he got out of his car on a Saturday. I said, excuse me, sir, uh, just, a, just a huge favor. Would you mind parking, uh, you know, a little further back in front of my garage? And I'm, he said, absolutely. And he did it. Like, it was What a, a concept. You spoke that's, nicely yeah. to your neighbor. That's, and that's the key, I yeah. think. It's, you know, I'm sure we, there's lots of people out there who have neighbors that they can't talk to for certain reasons. Maybe so. But if you feel like you can... I'm telling you, Nate, right, give it a shot. I'm telling you right now, if somebody came out and, and when we parked that car and said, hey, can you not park there? That's our spot. We would have gladly moved. There's lots of spots on our street. Yeah. But the note. Passive if, aggressive. If you can talk, please do. And maybe you make a new BFF too. Hey. You never know. 709, the coronavirus continues to dominate the U.S. presidential election with just days to go. Very different messages from both candidates at their rallies this week. One promising a vaccine momentarily, the other saying they will let science drive decisions. Joining us with days before this election is Jackson Prosco, Global's Washington Bureau Chief. Hi, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's kind of be a little scary in the States, perhaps, this weekend, not just because of Halloween. Uh, We know that uh, we've seen, in fact, you're tweeting about it this morning, that there are a number of businesses that are prepping for what potentially could be some violence come Election Day. Yeah, here in Washington, you know, we saw uh, a lot of protests over the summer. We saw a security fence put up around the White House complex, and we saw a lot of businesses boarded up. The fence never came down, but the businesses are back to boarding up again, just preparing for the potential of, you know, large-scale protests, especially because uh, in this unusual election year, President Trump is taking the unusual step of watching the results come in from inside the White House. There won't be uh, any sort of campaign headquarters, and it seems to be sort of on the fence as to whether he'll make the short jaunt down the road to the Trump hotel to uh, greet supporters who are gathering there as well. So those two venues really kind of making Washington a nexus for activity on election night. Nexus for activity and uh, the U.S. as a whole. Uh, Activity-wise, coronavirus cases hitting record high. So certainly we cannot call it a rounding the turn, can we? No, I mean, this is an absolutely awful situation. Yesterday, an all-time record for daily infections. 90,000 new cases reported in the U.S. yesterday. Uh, Hospitalizations are surging rapidly. There are 46,000 Americans in hospital right now and 1,000 deaths reported across the country yesterday. And we know the death indicator tends to lag a bit, so people are saying, well, it's way down. Well, it is down now. It is starting to trend back up, and you know that if cases and hospitalizations are accelerating, deaths will start to tick back up here as well in the coming days. And again, going back to you know what's being said by both of the candidates at their rallies you know, Donald Trump continues to to really say that there's no big deal here while Biden is going completely the other way and that's been the story throughout this campaign hasn't it Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump Jr. was on Fox News last night saying deaths are down to almost nothing. That's just not true. A thousand people died yesterday. I mean, let's let's be realistic about this. And yes, the president is continuing with rallies in the worst hit states here over the next few days. Now, we need to point out Joe Biden is going to be in those states as well. But you can look for yourself and see the contrast and how the two men hold their events. If there's a Biden rally, it tends to be a drive in style where people are sitting in their cars and physically separated, whereas the Trump rallies are thousands of people packed together in close quarters. Quarters. And look, we know out of one of Trump's rallies just a few weeks ago in North Carolina, there are now at least two re- reported positive cases out of that. And I believe it's 11 or 12 other rallies uh, have been marked by surges in cases in those local communities in the weeks following the rallies.
mentioned they're going to be hitting rallies, both candidates, through the weekend. Which areas are each uh, candidate going to be focusing on as we get closer to Tuesday? Well, wouldn't you know it? They're going to be covering the exact same turf, and I think that tells you how this election is going. So your Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those are really the key states for both men. They are the states that narrowly put Donald Trump over the top in that squeaker of an election in 2016. They are leading towards Joe Biden, but they are also within the margin of error, according to the polls right now. And so Biden is hoping to maintain that lead and deliver a victory and lock out Donald Trump. Trump is on defense here, trying to hold on to those states. And there's one extra state that's in the mix of travel here over the next few days, and that is Iowa. It went Republican for Trump. Biden thinks he can make a play there. And really, if Biden could flip Iowa, that would signal perhaps a quick result on election night. And I should point out that just as much as the polls are very close in those key battleground states, they're also really close in Republican territory in the Sun Belt. And I'm talking about Texas, Arizona, Georgia, Florida. And the Biden camp thinks that, hey, if they can flip one or more of those states, they can have a decisive result on election night. But nobody is willing to even be optimistic at this point because there are so many variables in this campaign and memories of 2016 still mm. linger for Democrats. I want to ask you about that, Jackson. Are there states that are certain, like, you know, if, if Biden wins Florida, for example, does that pretty much guarantee him a win or are there just no guarantees until everything rolls in? No, I mean, that really would probably guarantee him a win. Uh, if you look at sort of how the map stands today based on who's leading and who's not, Biden is just ever so slightly over the threshold of the 270 electoral college votes. So adding Florida to the mix would lock out Trump entirely. Uh, you know, I think there's a few key states which are going to signal how the night is going. Florida is one of them to watch very closely. North Carolina, watch that closely. And Pennsylvania, you know, Biden doesn't need it, but it would certainly help him. Trump absolutely needs to win Pennsylvania. Well, you know, and I'm wondering about, you know, we put a lot of stake into Tuesday, but with so much advanced voting, the mail-in ballots that need to be counted and expecting a, a, a real turnout on Tuesday. Can we realistically, Jackson, expect to have a concrete result on Tuesday? Or are you thinking it, would, it uh, you know, goes without saying we'll have a couple of days after that? So three of those key Rust Belt states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, are not allowed legally to start counting their mail-in ballots, and they've received millions of them until election day, until the polls open, or just slightly before, the day before in the case of Michigan. So Michigan and Pennsylvania both say they will likely not have a complete result delivered until Friday following election day. Uh, and Wisconsin says probably the day after election day for their results to be fully tallied up. So that gives you a sense of what's going on here. I have to tell you, though, pay attention to what's happening in the courts, specifically in Pennsylvania right now, because the Trump campaign is going to extensive lengths here to essentially make sure that certain ballots are not counted. Even though the state has said there's there's a three-day grace period for mail-in ballots to show up within three days of the election. The Trump campaign is going to court and saying if it's not there by the time the polls close, it should not be counted. As a result, officials in Pennsylvania and Minnesota, uh, who are facing a similar challenge, they are now going to put any late-arriving ballots in a separate pile because what they don't want to have happen is a court challenge where all the mm. on-time ballots and the late ballots are mixed together and then somebody in a court somewhere says, well, then you have to throw, it, uh, throw out all the mail-in ballots. Right. So courts are bracing for this. They are preparing for contested election. If it's a squeaker, keep in mind, if it's a big victory for one side or the other, none of this stuff matters. But if it's a squeaker... These are the type of tactics that will be employed. Jackson, where will you be on election night? I know we're running special programming here at, on 770 CHQR. We'll be carrying uh, from 7 p.m. to 1230 a.m. the special on, on the U.S. election. Where are you and where uh, is Reggie set up? 
Yeah, I'll be here with uh, Donna Friesen. Uh, we have a, a beautiful view overlooking the Capitol building, and we'll be bringing in those results over the course of the evening. And uh, Reggie Cicchini is going to be down in and around the White House, keeping an eye on the situation there, especially with the potential for uh, protests or celebrations or whatever may happen that evening as Trump watches the results come in. How about this weekend? Do you, you work uh, all weekend ahead of something <laughs> like this, or do you actually have a couple of days off? Well, downtime is a relative term this close to an election. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm not working, I'm doing a lot of reading. Let's put it those ways. And uh, worry not, I've penciled in at least four hours where I can get some sleep between Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. <laughs> oh, then you'll be just fine. That shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting to watch this race. I mean, we know polling Biden's leading, but we know what happened in the 2016 election, as you've talked about so many times. So we'll all be following along with you uh, and, and really watching the outcome of this election campaign. Yeah, if you've got coronavirus insomnia, it's probably replaced with election insomnia these days. (laughs) We'll be checking back in with you, no doubt, Jackson. Thanks. Take care. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Coming up on 843 and cast member of the TV series The Other Side, intuitive Jeff Richards investigates the paranormal on a daily basis. He's even conducted an investigation right here in Calgary. Jeff Richards joins us now to talk a little more about how to know when you're in the presence of a spirit. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. I would imagine Halloween's got to be your favorite holiday, but I'm curious, do actual spirits come out at Halloween or is this just something we've made up? You know, there's sort of this, like, I guess, sort of misconception that spirits are more active around this season. I mean, historically, it does seem that, you know, I get more calls. There are more cases that do seem to pop up in October. That may simply be that people are feeling a little spookier. Uh, but, you know, and naturally and, and, and on the whole, I don't necessarily think that October or the Halloween season does have more of a bearing or less of a bearing on increased spirit activity because I think, you know, it, it, it's all the time. You know, they, the spirits are there and they're willing to communicate. They're going to do it whether it's Halloween or not, really. Okay, Jeff, you say it's, it's all the time. They're, they're here. They're around us. How can the lay person, a non-intuitive, know that they're in the presence of a spirit? Well, first and foremost, I mean, I get calls all the time from people who are looking to be put in contact with their deceased relatives. And sometimes because of popular culture, people will look towards spirit mediums and, you know, the things that they see on TV, ladies coming up to people in grocery stores saying, hey, I see the spirit of your deceased relative beside you or what have you. And what I often tell people is if if you feel a sensation around you that is like, you know, putting your hand through spider webs or sort of this tingling sensation that you can feel around your body, at that moment in time, you sort of have to tune in and listen to, you know, what your gut is saying, what your instincts are saying. It's, it's often very, very simple to feel or to understand if there's a spirit around. They can manifest with noises. They can manifest with smells and olfactory response. Sometimes we will hear reports of people smelling cigar smoke or a specific mm-hmm. type of perfume in an area. Quite often those are markers of spiritual activity. But the feeling, the sensation, listening to you know what you're physically picking up, and as I said, it'll sometimes feel like spider webs or cobwebs running across your skin or just a tingling sensation on sort of the, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck standing on end, that can be a really good initial indicator that there's something going on. Jeff, talk to us about what you and your team are doing on Halloween night. This sounds really exciting and spooky. So we're actually in Winnipeg, Manitoba right now. We are going to be investigating the APTN studios. Now, our program is based um, out of APTN. We we are on there as our primary broadcaster. So we're going to be doing a live investigation 
So you're going to be able to see exactly what we experience as it unfolds live. Uh, there are huge reports of activity in the space over the last, you know, roughly two decades. There have been numerous reports of everything from footsteps to voices to uh, just three days ago, a cameraman witnessed something moving in front of his camera as he was setting up to record a part of a news story about the other side, about our program. So we're going to be broadcasting live. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I have no, no real clue as to what we're going to find in the building because we haven't actually done any investigative work there yet. So again, it's, it's, you know, anything is possible and everybody's mm. going to get to see that live. Wow. Well, wow. we can find it on the other side TV.ca. Is that right? Yes. And if you go to the other side, Facebook page as well, or if you check out Jeff Richards, Canada's most dangerous mind on Facebook, there will be links posted to all of those places where people can tune in. Uh, you do have to pre-register your spots. So you got to sort of get in the queue if you do want to participate in a live investigation. Jeff, yes or no, do you ever get scared? Oh, 100% yes. Oof. Absolutely yes. I've I've been physically attacked. I've been scratched. I've had objects thrown at me. Um, we just wrapped uh, an episode of our seventh season, which people won't see till 2021, where a light bulb, a lamp exploded right above my head Oof. as we were just getting into the uh, the beginnings of an investigation. So anytime a spirit can physically affect an object, you have to imagine that takes a lot of energy. And in, in those moments, they can physically affect or harm you as a person as well. And that's when I get a little bit on edge. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Halloween. I hope you find lots of spooky paranormal activity Saturday night. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's Jeff Richards, cast member on The Other Side. Again, theothersidetv.ca.